Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadge Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, but more importantly, we're very good friends. Isn't that right, Ben? That is accurate. It's pretty accurate. And I think that's important. Accuracy. Accuracy, accuracy is important. <laughs> Friendship accuracy. Or relationship built an accuracy. Car- he built an entire career on accuracy. Um, ben, is uh, he's he writes a lot. I think he writes a ton. Um, Maybe even professionally. Professionally, they pay him to write. And why don't you tell the people where they can find your latest work? Sure. You can find my work at Inside Hook, at Motor Trend, and at Driving Line. And f- as for me, um, you can find my work at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, and Nouveau Magazine. I, I wanted to, <clears throat> excuse me, I-, I lost my voice a little bit because before we started recording the show, Sammy and I have actually been talking for 45 minutes. So there's a whole portion of the show that never makes it to air um, for good reason. And sometimes it goes on longer than other times. And I only have so much voice. So I apologize for the scratchiness. But what I wanted to say is um, a member of the whole automotive um, journalism and just kind of automotive community is having a rough time this week. Uh, Jason Torchinsky, who came up through Jalopnik and is now one of the uh, main players at the Utopian, he had a, a heart emergency this past Monday and had to have uh, unexpected surgery, um, words that should never go together when they're involved with someone you care about. Yeah. Uh, in any case, he has he's expected to recover, but it was a serious thing. And we there's someone has set up a GoFundMe. Jason lives in the United States, and medical care is expensive there. Not only that, but who knows when he's going to be feeling 100% and working again. So there's a GoFundMe that is set up for him and his family to help cover some of these medical expenses. And we're going to be putting a link to it in the show notes today. So if you can, I mean, I know the holidays are around the corner and it's expensive time. But if you have a little bit of cash that you can spare to help someone who's really given so much to um, making people laugh on the internet about cars and educating them at the same time, uh, it would be great for you to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But usually we talk about cars, we talk about the automotive industry, and we've been driving some new cars that we really want to talk about um, on this week's episode, right? Yeah, I mean... We're desperate to talk about these cars. We have been... We will not procrastinate when it comes to talking about these vehicles. But you know what? I I do really want to mention the weather. It's getting colder out there. Yes, that's what happens. Uh, Where are you going with this? Nothing. I don't want to talk about the car you've got. Okay. Oh, you're, that was a procrastination joke. Oh, my bad. Sorry, I was I was uh, procrastinating on my laughter there. Um, I'm sure <laughs> it, it'll get here eventually. I'm I'm sure. Uh, um, so, I mean, cold weather kind of does feed into the vehicle I'm driving. <clears throat> Excuse me again. You uh, drove the cold steel edition of some kind. Yeah, car? <laughs> the cold steel edition. It's the most hardcore version. No, it's the uh, it's an electric vehicle, so uh, temperature always plays a role, and it does have something to do with something I didn't really like about the vehicle, which we'll talk about towards the end of the review. It was too cold. Yeah, it was too cold. It's the 2023 Mercedes-Benz EQE SUV, Sammy. That's a name. That's, That's definitely a name. Did vowel, not have more of a name vowel, after that? Like uh, 480 or something weird like that? Well, 580? It goes, it goes vowel, consonant, vowel, consonant, vowel, consonant, <laughs> 500 format. <laughs> 
500, 500 formatic, yes. in all caps. So there's three versions of the EQE. There's the 350. It's actually more than that. There's a 350, there's an all-wheel drive 350, then there's the 500, which I believe is only all-wheel drive, and then there's the AMG version. Uh, the version I drove, the, it's I guess you could call it the mid-tier. It has two electric motors, 402 horsepower, 633 pound-feet of torque. It has this kind of funky thing where it can disconnect the front axle from the electric motor, I guess to improve Do range. Do want that? <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of, it's weird because Mercedes doesn't talk a lot about it as a feature. I think it might be something they're trying out to see if it improves range. When they say disconnect, this sounds so much more like a, like I, like combustion engine cars use a driveline that they disconnect the driveline in that car. Because if you're not using that, it, it creates drag and therefore you're not. Yeah. And I assume it's a similar kind energy. of thing here. Like perhaps they can disconnect the electric motor to reduce Don't, drag. Just turn it off or disconnect. I think it's a physical disconnect. Wow. Uh, but that again, I, I don't have a lot of details on that feature. Um, okay. But when I said middle version of this car, I should point out that it starts at $89,500. Mm. And the version I drove was $98,000 with all the equipment. Mm. And that gives you an idea of what the AMG model might cost. That sounds expensive for 400 horsepower. Yeah. And not only that, this is really the downfall of this vehicle. So it's it's 400 horse, for, yes it's 400 okay. horsepower it's 279 miles of range if you get the, the the there's models i believe the 350 has better i don't know the the real world drive one kind of pushes range up but there's also models with less range and more range so this is really is kind of the middle solution for this vehicle okay but the thing that really got to me about it is the performance the range the styling, the interior, none of it really rises to the point where I would want to spend $90,000. And if you compare it to other more affordable EVs from Hyundai, from Kia, from Ford, it doesn't really do anything better. And if you look at styling and compare it to other luxury EVs like the BMW iX and I guess the Porsche Taycan, is that a, is that an SUV ish kind of vehicle? I don't know. Taycan, I wouldn't call it. An, I wouldn't call it an SUV. What's not a the chance. What's the Audi EV EV right now? The e-tron. A, one is called. It's called the. It used to be called the e-tron, but they have the Q4 and the Q8 now. Okay, and so those styling wise, far more interesting to look at than the EQE, which carries over that wind tunnel inspired and i use the word inspired loosely i feel like it's inspired isn't the right word this is it looks like these things look like jelly beans they either look like bigger jelly beans or like flatter jelly beans exactly it's it's a it's a shape that was done exclusively for aerodynamic purposes and Mm -hmm. as a result it's not interesting to look at i think the suv works better than the sedan version of the eqe or the eqs yeah I, i don't know there's something about marginally marginally there's something about the larger shape or the larger height of the vehicle that kind of gives it a bit more personality but it's not interesting to look at it does not stand out and when you when you consider companies like kia and hyundai whether you like it or not i mean you don't have to like their designs but they are definitely designs that make a statement and that are outside of the ordinary that you would expect from an electric vehicle even the mach e from ford I think has a visual personality and the EQE does not. Um, So your main issue, first of all, right off the bat is that for 80 or 89 or $90,000, you've got a car that looks so bland. It's it's bland. Yeah. And the next issue is I have a car that is in terms of performance, no, in no way separates itself from vehicles that cost half this amount. 
Yeah, one of my biggest issues when you mentioned the powertrain of 400 horsepower, almost every ma mainstream EV has about 400 horsepower or just a, just around 400 or yeah, 350 I mean, to 400. The torque is good with this vehicle, but it's not exceptional. And it's, you know, every... Uh, it's really hard. No, to talk to me. Like, seriously, you can get a Polestar with, with that much horsepower. You can get a GV60 with that much horsepower. Was it the EV6? Yeah, EV6 and Mach-E, you can get it with those. Sure, the, the mach, -E, mach -E, the, Sorry, the, the Mach-E GT and the, I think the EV6 GT have more than 400 and will, should be, should be cheaper. I'm not sure. They should they be. They are definitely, they are not $90,000. I mean, that is, okay. that is clear. Um, the other thing about it is what's so odd about driving this vehicle is the, the experience itself isn't any better either. Like it doesn't necessarily handle what I would, in, in a way that reflects its price tag. Um, the only real difference I could tell if you were to drive this back to back with a an EV that costs $50,000, I did notice the rear wheel steering on the EQE, which gives you 10 degrees of movement on the rear wheels. And it, at low speeds, it dramatically changes the turning circle to the point where you have to adjust how you steer the vehicle. If you try to just drive it like a normal vehicle, you're going to end up in the curb because it is so much better at turning. Um, 10 degrees sounds like a tiny bit more than usual. I don't, do you it's know that? It's definitely a lot. It's, okay. it's on the high side of what you could expect from a, a, a vehicle like this. Okay. Okay. That's like, good to hear. I mean, at least it has some benefit. So like basically you've got a $50,000 EV with 40,000, a $40,000 rear wheel steering system. Yeah. A $40,000 <laughs> Mercedes markup, but there's other things. So Mercedes is, I think, very aware of how hard it is to differentiate an electric vehicle these days. Uh, and as a okay. result, they've they've kind of stacked the EQE with gear that is going to distract you from the you know average aspects of the drivetrain, and the, the, those features themselves, it's going to depend on how you feel about them as to whether you think it's worth it. It's it's got the giant MBUX hyperscreen system, which is like the full dashboard looks like a screen. All do the you like that yet? Do you like, like, has that grown on you for not really? Because it's not super useful to have like in front of the driver and in the center stack. Okay. I get it. It's a big screen. That's fine. But there's one in front of the passenger too. And you can't really do a lot with it. Like okay. it's, it's odd in the sense that you can see it if you're the driver, which makes it distracting. But it has like a bunch of backgrounds you can add. And one of those is like a giant compass. And it just, I wasn't clear as to what a passenger is going to get out of that screen, really. The the other thing about it is um, I had problems with Android Auto just disconnecting. Like what? What do you mean? Just disconnecting for no reason while I was it, driving. It just the is like, I'm done now. I don't want to yeah. be. Oh, yeah. I think I mentioned this in my um, e. What did I drive? GLC a few uh, a few months ago that would like just not want to play nicely with Android Auto, be yeah. it an like wired or wireless. I can't remember what it was, but it was it, such it, a. It would sometimes just disconnect. It would other times like blip where it would disconnect and then come back. Yeah, and then other times it seems like it would freeze the whole system until yes. I was like, I have to disconnect and get usability back. Yeah, and, and the the problem is like when that when that goes when that begins to happen functionality on that center screen is completely gone and a lot of this car is it needs to be like a lot of functions on this car have to be performed through that center pretty screen. much entirely yeah it's 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 very very dependent on it I'm, so i'm glad to hear that somebody else is having this problem in a completely not I'm like, i mean i hate that we're having these problems i hate that we're having these problems on eighty nine thousand dollar cars whose technology is supposed to be um a buying a deciding factor for those those vehicles exactly and there's another feature a very high-tech feature on the eqe 
that worked. You're going to throw this camera under the bus, aren't you? What camera? The front-facing t- traffic light camera. Oh, I turned the traffic light camera okay, off. Okay, fine. That is a feature that no one needs. Um, <laughs> no, it, it's it's an adaptive cruise control system that oh. it actually will change lanes for you automatically, similar to how Super Cruise does. Uh, so if you're coming up on slower traffic, it'll signal and move into the other lane. And then once it's past the traffic, it will it will get back into the right lane. Okay, and hold on. Hold on one second. It will signal or you signal and it. It and will it, signal and it, and it will do it automatically. Wow. Super Cruise does that as well. I know that. But I mean, that's that's also it's also wow when that happens. And you too, can I if think. you want to do it, you can like hit the third signal and it will you can manually. It's That's funny. You can quote unquote with. manually activate the automatic turn. <laughs> <lane change. laughs> That's what I'm familiar with. I'm also familiar with. I drove a link. I drove the uh, Lincoln. What was it? Corsair PHEV, and it had. I think it had Blue Cruise, but I don't think it did. And it would it would come up on some traffic, and it would say like a lane change recommended. That's what it would tell mm. me, and then I would be like, okay. So. <laughs> That's kind of what I wanted to go with when I was talking uh, when I was talking about this feature, as in not always being great. It, okay. It's this is a very high tech thing. It is impressive ninety percent of the time, but there are occasions where the vehicle just changed lanes for no reason. Ooh! And I would have to it got bored. It kind of felt that way. You could stop it by grabbing the wheel. Like I mean, grab it. You could just like tug on the wheel, and it will it won't overpower you and change lanes. But it would often just like go into the left lane for no reason. And I didn't understand. I belong here. But more more problem. (laughs) It's a left lane bandit now. More problematic, though, was the speed control where um, there's a setting you can have where it will see the speed limit and it, it can automatically if it thinks it's a bit complicated. I believe how it works is you can set a speed that's above the speed limit. So I'm driving 120 kilometers an hour in a in 100 zone so that's a 75 miles an hour in a 60 65 zone okay and what'll happen is if you have this feature on and the speed limit changes like let's say you're suddenly you're in a 50 mile an hour zone it can automatically knock your speed down to the speed limit in case you didn't notice that feature was on so i think what happens is if you're driving normally and you in your stay in your your 65 mile an hour zone and you keep seeing 65 mile an hour signs that's fine. It won't do anything. It knows you've set above that and knows you're aware of that. But what happened is I was on a road where it had a minimum speed and a maximum speed. Right. And the sign caught the minimum speed, but not the maximum speed. I guess there was traffic or something in front and of it. It just slammed the brakes. It slammed the brakes on. It That's knocked me worst. down to 60. Yeah. And the weird thing is, if you're looking at the dash, I went from going 75 miles an hour to, um, I guess, 40 miles an hour, which is a pretty big change, especially if you're in the left lane with traffic behind you. But the 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 uh, control, the adaptive cruise control still shows you as set at 75 miles an hour. That's so annoying. So okay. you, when you look at it, you don't immediately know what happened. Okay, you know? yeah. and then I had a message flash on the screen and it showed like 60, 60 kilometers an hour, I guess that's, that's the Canadian, you know, kilometers. So like 40 miles an hour detected dropping speed. So I, I turned that system off. And yeah. then later on in the same drive, I was on a clear road with no traffic in front of me or beside me, and the car braked hard for no reason mm. from highway speed. So those two incidents kind of made me, I don't know, not trust the system all that much. No, I've I've experienced this feature, I think, as well in a in that Lincoln I was mentioning. And it's really off-putting. Um, and I believe the terminology in like the settings to turn it off was not very clear or like it was very vague sounding. I'm like, is that the function I'm trying to disable so I don't do that? Like yeah. it stops doing that. You end up with a lot of brand speak and like marketing inside. Yeah. And it's just really like, I first of all, that feature shouldn't be enabled by default. I, I mean, maybe, 
maybe some people are having more issues with speeding than than I'm expecting or, or I, I believe. But you we you set the speed you set the cruise control or the speed limit, and that's your decision. You pick that. Changing that figure is taking control away from the driver in a really ab- like abstract and in unwanted way. It's I also, don't like that. It's also arbitrary too, right? Because the vehicle doesn't know the situation you're in when it yeah. sees that sign. I mean, it probably has some kind of camera feed to show you what vehicles are around it, but I don't understand like what the decision-making process is for the vehicle at that point. Does it say, okay, I have to prioritize slowing down because I don't want to get a ticket? Or does it say I have to prioritize maintaining the flow of traffic so that I don't cause an accident? And anytime you're asking a car to make that decision, yeah. that's really a human decision. <laughs> we sh- yeah, we we shouldn't offload these difficult decisions off to the car. No, I, I don't think so. Um, um, okay. But... <sighs> But it, like, yeah, okay, so we're we're having that. Those are two, like, to me, I get it. You can turn off one of those features, but the the infotainment system you can't turn off. Well, the, the other, the other, the other. I had that feature. I had the speed feature turned off when it braked the second time. It was not related to that at all. It just happened. It okay. was emergency braking out of the blue. But what I mean to say is, like, these are features. Like, can people live with these features, or they want these features, and then worse, like. Are people really wanting the – they want to spend $90,000 on a car for it to, to like, interfere? You know what I mean? Like, that sucks. It's the, – the other, you know, the other thing about the car, too, is I think a lot of these technology features, they're there to distract you from the drivetrain being fine and not impressive. But okay. also from the interior, which is, again, very normal. It's yep. not particularly large. It's not particularly small. It doesn't really come across as unless you're really into the idea of the hyperscreen and you think the hyperscreen with the big black bezels and whatnot is luxurious. If and some people are into that kind of technology and that's what they want to see. If you if you don't feel that way, if you need more than that, you're not going to find it in this vehicle. Mm-hmm. And when I look at like the EQE versus something like the the electrified Genesis models that we've seen. Right. You think about how much nicer those interiors are, not to mention the exterior styling that mimics that of the um, gas power models because they're they're essentially a conversion. That's mm-hmm. where the EQE really stumbles. And it's I, I kept going back and forth with the fact that this is a perfectly fine electric vehicle. Like the the range is, is fine. Um, I was able to go on 200 mile trips without worrying about range anxiety, even in the cold. And the power is fine. Like good acceleration okay. is good. It's like, you know, just over four seconds to 60 and it passes well and stuff. But like everything about it is, mm-hmm. it doesn't go above that bar. It doesn't go above fine. Like the handling isn't impressive. Um, nothing about it really separates itself from the rest of the pack. And then I look at the price tag and it's a total disconnect. Yeah. And you're saying, what am I doing? You're spending all that money just for that three-pointed star yes. on the front, and that's it. And and, and, that's, and that's I don't think this is a comfortable place for Mercedes to be, and I don't think it's a place where they normally are unless you look at their entry-level models, the compact and the subcompact vehicles, where in the past they've really relied on the brand to push the price up while delivering what I would say is an average or below-average experience. On the on on their higher price models, that hasn't usually been an issue, and it's and now it is for the electrics. It, it's almost like the EQ line of vehicles. It feels out of step with the rest of the company. What do you mean by that? By like, by the fact that they have like, hold on, let's like let's be clear here. When you say out of step from the rest of the company, I need to ask you what products in their portfolio are above 
industry average. Right I think now. the I think the S class is a pretty good sedan. That's one. Um, I think the oof, I don't know. Do you see what I mean? I think I think that's a difficult. Okay, that's really difficult. AMG well, let's, let's might be, f- be a different brand, a different like discussion to be made because but those are really emotionally charged vehicles that seem like when you when you hear or feel the thrust of an, an AMG powertrain, you go, yeah, this was worth it. Anything's worth it um, when you're doing that, <laughs> isn't it? Isn't that true? Like it's like when you get into a Hellcat, you're like, this is insane. I love it. But what I think that what I think I, I mean is. When you drive like an E class or an S class, it, it it comes across as a luxury car. I think E class is losing its gri- its grip on reality as well. But it feels I like remember- a luxury car, right? Like you could yeah, drive that true. and drive a five series, and in your mind, they're coming from the same place. Maybe they're, they're balanced. Di- yeah, yeah. But when you drive an EQ, it does not come across as a luxury car at its price point. And, and you this- take a look at the other vehicles that the EQE or EQS SUV can compare with. And they definitely um, do work. We've talked we've talked about the BMW iX in the past. An excellent vehicle that is, you know, I mean, it feels like you're getting extra stuff that makes sense for the amount of money you're spending. When I get in an iX, I don't feel like I'm in a Kia. I just don't. I- I feel like I've always said this. I feel like I'm in an X7 that's been electrified, which or an X5, which are both very to yeah. me and you. I think we've we've gone on record a number of times on the podcast saying these two products from BMW are among their best. Um, and I think that and- speaks to the fact, and we've talked about this on the show in the past, that BMW has spent the last 15 years working on Project I and building up all of their various experimental electrics and hybrids and plugins, trying to understand how they can make a BMW that also happens to be electric. They made they made weird decisions with, with i3 and i8 and Mini E and all these other things and like their plugins. But now they that have allowed a, them to understand yes. how to incorporate those driving experiences or those features into a full priced real product with the BMW logo. So when so when you drive the iX, it feels like a BMW. It feels like it fits in the showroom and it it doesn't feel like a separate line of cars. When I drive or even look at the mm-hmm. EQ series, it doesn't line up with my expectations for Mercedes and it doesn't feel like it comes from the same company in terms of design or execution. It That's feels- really a difficult position to be in because they've said a number of times EQS is the S class of EQs. And they, I don't know if they've been, I don't know if anybody who has written that tagline has been in a new S class and an EQS and been like, yeah, I see the, I see it. It really doesn't because work. It, it doesn't, doesn't feel work. that way. Right. No, the EQ, the, sorry, the S class is a limousine. It can feel like, like you could live in that car um, and it's quiet, it's smooth, it's really like refined. And I don't think you get exactly the same experience um, being in and driving an EQS. No, and is- EQS, I mean, styling wise is quite anonymous in comparison to the S class. and Which do- is conservative, but like somehow still also it headline has presence. grabbing. Yeah. yeah. But then you look at BMW, again, going back to them as an example, or Porsche sure. with the Taycan, and you have yeah. this, the i7 and the Taycan are like, you, you can't ignore those vehicles. They are extroverted. They're cool. Yeah, whether you like what they look like or not, you can't deny the fact that the design is something that um, is visually arresting, and it's something that feels like it belongs as part of the brand. And then, you know, you drive the i7, and it comes across as an electric limousine in a way the EQS does not. And so it's not like this is an impossible task. It's just that Mercedes... Did they rush? Do you think Mercedes rushed no, to market? No, I think that they took a very... I think that they... Were or seeing, they had a lower bar. 
No, I think what we're seeing is the result when you have engineering drive every aspect of the process. And I think that if you were to be inside Mercedes-Benz and sitting at the whatever boardroom table where they made the decision for the EQ line, they would have all sorts of metrics that proved they had met the exact specifications of the project they had been given, or perhaps even exceeded it in terms of, you know, cost to develop and uh, range and all power and all of these things. But they neglected to make it a car that people would actually want, or not. I shouldn't say that, that people would desire you know, um, at that price point. That, that's the failure, I think. It's it, This is an entirely engineering-driven exercise with no thought to design or styling or heritage. I don't think it's... I don't like the idea of calling it engineering-driven desi- d- because to me, if it was engineering-driven, they would have a metric, they would have um, a point that is either at or above the competition. That 400 horsepower is not it. That well, weight what, well, or they that... Well, they make an AMG model, though, and that's the thing. They're protecting... See, BMW doesn't have that with the i7 or the iX, right? I guess they do well, have they the have IM. the M- M60 versions or whatever they are. That's true. And the XM. That's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. <clears throat> and the XM, which is a plug-in hybrid, I think, yeah, rather the than XM a full, hybrid, is kind of, a full EV. The XM is kind of a, an outlier, I think, in this It's weird. I don't know. We need to drive this car and figure out what the heck is going on with that. Yeah. Um, but it is, I don't know, there's not enough in that discussion of the EQE, EQS, and any of the EQ vehicles that says, oh, the engineering drove them to make a, a car that might be compromised in one way, but it delivered either range or performance or or space. But I or, think that what we're assuming is that they want to, the, 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 the design brief was to do their best. I think the design brief was to make a car that fits at a certain price so they don't lose money on these. That's the okay. Then that makes then that hits it. If that's truly the point, and I mean Mercedes is selling a car for ninety grand. If they're not making money on this, like or or any of their other EQ vehicles, then I mean the volume might be so low that they were just unwilling to. That's true. You know, it's hard to know. Like these are very opaque decisions that get made. At the but there is a, there is a relatively affordable EV um, at the Mercedes lineup, which is the EQB. I think um, it doesn't look that bad. It looks like an, it actually looks like an electrified EQ. I mean GLB. It didn't. They didn't jelly bean it. Um, and I don't know. Maybe that maybe that one's actually a little bit more appealing because and, of that. And maybe know? they couldn't afford to jelly bean it because of that affordable price. No, <laughs> that's but that's like, so funny. But it's like they're not going to spend the extra time developing a bespoke entry level EV platform with a shape that is totally aerodynamic, right? Because they know they can only charge so much at that mm. point. So why go all the way? So when you when you finished when you jumped out of this car and you gave the keys back, what was it that you? What was the ending? like thought for you it's just it's a forgettable i wanted to be in another vehicle instead of this one i I didn't dislike it it's just not memorable in any way and would you recommend somebody buying it if somebody came up to you and said hey i want this eqe suv would you say "Eh, maybe hold off i couldn't recommend it because i think your money is better spent at a mainstream brand and if you really do need something luxurious then you need to look in the bmw showroom or the porsche showroom or the audi showroom i mean that's really i think I think we've talked about this before, but the luxury um, cachet, whatever you want to call it, the, that lecture, luxury feeling is now just a feeling rather than an actual experience um, because all of the other vehicles are offered with great seats, lots of space, tons of technology, and and really good performance without the $50,000 that or whatever you want to call it, some, some percentage markup just because it has a Mercedes or BMW but brand. I mean, the, the iX... It has, it's 84,000, I think, to start. Yeah. 
and I do think it's worth that that money in context of its of its peers. Sure. You okay. Know? I think All it right. is possible to do that. And I do think that the Genesis EVs are also um, competitive at their price point. I just think that I, Mercedes has missed the boat here. All I'm saying is I think that certain in certain cars the um, the luxury aspect is is still there in a mainstream vehicle too. To a degree, I don't know. Sure. I think. But the, I'm not talking about like a Corolla XLE or something like that, right? I mean, it really depends on the manufacturer, I think, and, yeah. and, and what you define as luxury. That's true. Um, anything else you want to talk about this week? Um, about no, the I, think it's time, I think it's time to move on. Let's move on. Um, this week, I drove a, uh, if you remember last week, I drove the 2024 Hyundai Kona, which has been completely redeveloped this year um, and is aiming to be at the top of the market. But there is, I think, a fairly successful product that stands in its way, and that's 2024 Subaru Crosstrek, which has also been completely redesigned this year. So I drove that and actually compared the two um, back-to-back, um, and we'll have a story on driving.ca about it as well as a video. But um, in addition to that, um, maybe some of our, our more dedicated and, and active listening members of the community will know that Ben has one of these cars in his driveway. He's got the keys that he never has to give back. Well, they're not my keys. They are oh, my sure. partner's keys. It is, it is her daily driver. That's true. Um, and I think it's worth dis- worth talking about our experiences in the latest um, generation of Crosstrek. Now, I want to be clear. When the Crosstrek came out, I would say it was about 10 years ago. I, I, I want to... Yeah, it was 2013. When the Crosstrek came out, I thought it was a complete... Dud. I thought it was slow. It was boring, um, and it, it. I didn't get the the vehicle, and that is until I drove it in the snow with some really good winter tires. I drove it in a blizzard, and I felt like I could never, I could never give it up. I thought it was one of the most safest, predictable, and and reasonable cars on the market with that much capability and and confidence in poor weather conditions, and I found out that this experience has translated from that first to the second and i think now the third generation um crosstrek which are sturdy affordable vehicles remember when it was called the crosstrek xv i do remember when it was called the crosstrek xv and then we all just forgot about it like it never happened (laughs) yes that's right um however over the years i think subaru has slowly crept up the price of these vehicles um maybe a little bit now a base model starts at twenty five thousand dollars which is a tiny bit more than the base base price of a hyundai kona but the kona comes with standard uh front wheel drive while the crosstrek comes always with all-wheel drive so i think that's um that's a trade-off that you have to make if you're if you're dealing if a customer is dealing with um inclement weather or something like that. Well, and I mean, they want Sub- the Subaru has always positioned themselves as the most affordable way to get all-wheel drive. Yeah. For the and, most part. and um, the other thing, though, is that that base engine, that two-liter um, boxer engine that's in the Crosstrek, it's not very... I don't think it's very good. Um, it's quite weak, but it's perfectly fine. Like, so that's the model that we have. And mm-hmm. the, the argument against this motor... Is that the 2.5 liter, which is the larger one? Yep. It has almost identical fuel mileage. Yes. So, in terms of thrift, what's really holding you back is the fact that you can't get it above below a certain trim. Like you yes. have to update to a higher trim yes. level, pay for features that maybe you don't want to have, just so you can have another. I believe it's 30 horsepower or 25 horsepower. Yes. 
And I, for us, when we it's bought... It's about 30 horsepower. And it's a difference of uh, about $5,000, uh, $4,000. So when we when we leased the one that we did, mm-hmm. it wasn't worth it to us because the vehicle is really only being used for long-distance commuting and a little bit of driving in the area. Uh, we mostly drive the vehicles that I own or have from the press fleet when we are not... When, when she's not commuting into the city yeah. or running errands of some kind. So for our purposes, it was, it was fine to just kind of focus focus on the bottom line and not get distracted by the larger engine financially. I do think though that blue, uh, I mean, sorry, that, um, that motor is, um, I love that. I think that engine is what this car should have. It's the, it's the bare minimum. Like I think so too, in terms of performance. Um, the other thing about the Crosstrek, in previous generations, it's always felt like almost a size up over other subcompact crossovers. When you compare the Crosstrek to like an HRV or um, a Nissan Kicks, it always felt like it was just a different pro- class of vehicle in terms of size. And I have to tell you, this is no longer the case. The Kona now has more space in terms of passenger and cargo space compared to the Crosstrek, which I think is, that's crazy. I think that's a huge change for uh, for this segment. And I think a couple of the benefits that Subaru has enjoyed over the years being the, uh, I think, one of the top sellers. And again, as I mentioned, more affordable vehicles with all-wheel drive. Now it's uh, its competition is catching up to it. Um, so the thing for me is for when we made our buying decision, we needed the all wheel drive Yes, and we would have been spending not just more money at a different brand to get it, but also the lease rates and the financing rates were much higher everywhere else too. It's kind of like the Mm -hmm. situational aspect of buying the car. I think that's important to mention is, um, availability obviously is a huge, um, impact uh, as to how people buy their vehicles. And as you mentioned, the lease rates on this uh, Crosstrek are very, were very attractive for you. But um, the model I drove was the Sport, which is the cheapest version of the 2.5 liter powered model. Um, I liked, like I said, I like most of it. I just think that the Kona has now kind of like one-upped it in every possible way, with the exception of fuel economy, where I found the Kona to be really... Um, really poor on gas the crosstrek was much more predictable and i think you can even get better fuel efficiency if you tried with that crosstrek the crosstrek though it comes with the cvt right the the big difference with the cvt the kona has an eight-speed automatic transmission now there's a difference in the way that these two products um like act on on paper because i mean on, on in the real world the CVT in the Crosstrek is actually really responsive off the line. Almost feels like it's jumping off the line. But then when you need to really get going when you're in motion, that's when the CVT kind of makes itself known. It uh, is slow, in my opinion, to um, drop to a drop uh, drop to a different ratio and then give you all that acceleration. And it sounds kind of like a mess at that when you're trying to when, like when you're trying to really make a pass. It's, yeah, it's trying to get everything it can out of that motor. So my partner's complaint about the Crosstrek, her one complaint is that it is noisy. It's noisy. Okay. Um, while the Kona feels a little less responsive off the line, but um, it's much quicker to change gear, drop a gear, and get going. So I found that to be a big um, a big deciding factor here. The other element that I think is, is worth mentioning is the infotainment system. Now, you have a base model that has two 8-inch screens. Is that yeah, it? It's like split across the middle. That's kind of cool. It but, works pretty well. It can um, be a little confusing if you're trying to figure out which of the screens has the menu we were looking for at times, but it's not that bad. It's not that bad, yes. The 
the one I had had the big 12-inch screen por- portrait display display kind of screen, um, and it looks very familiar to the four-year-old um, or three-year-old Outback that I have, which doesn't. I don't think that bodes well for Subaru. I think you know if you have a brand new product, it should it shouldn't look like a like a three or four-year-old, you know. Infotainment, uh, infotainment system. Well, they only have so much money, though. I mean, they're not made of infotainment systems, right? Like, they, <laughs> they got to go with what they have on the shelf. That's very true. Um, and the main issue is the speed and the speed of response on that screen can be really um, sluggish. When you get into the car and you plug your phone in, it actually seems to take almost five minutes before it even offers up Android Auto as a as an option which is really disorienting. I don't understand what it's doing in that five-minute period. It's like warming up the infotainment system, I guess. Um, and I don't like that at all. And as a result, like, you're, you've, just get, you've just gotten your, your, your drive started or you want to put your destination in, the, in Google Maps, for example, and you have to wait until this thing is ready for you, and I just can't stand it. Maybe five minutes is a bit of a stretch, but I'll say maybe two or three minutes. I mean, it feels like five minutes. It feels like forever, like... What's going on here? Is something broken? Um, it feels and then, like forever. The name of your second album feels like forever. Yes, and uh, that was that was the response I got from my produ- my producer about how long it's taking to make it. Of course, it was a minor success, though. It's a fa- it depends on how you de- how you define minor and success. I'm still talking about it. <laughs> I know you're, and thank you know what? Honestly, if at least one person is talking about it, that means uh, it is a minor and a success. Um. There was one more thing that I wanted to talk about. We we were mentioning at the top of the podcast that the weather um, has been getting very cold. The mercury has dropped, and we're getting some frost on our windshields. The Subaru EyeSight system does not love this stuff and will turn off EyeSight um, until you either defrost or wipe that uh, that windshield um, clean, which is easy, obviously. You but know it's just a funny thing to kind of like deal with or get a message on your wind on your dashboard about what i didn't love about the eqe was Mm -hmm. if i turned it on to defrost the glass and i stepped outside of the vehicle it would turn itself off after a certain amount of time so if i was like an uh, this is like an ev thing right people are like oh people don't want to press on buttons anymore they just want to get out of cars and i'm not sure if that's a real thing there's a few evs i've driven where if you're sitting in it and it's on you get a message on the screen that says the vehicle will run for x amount of time and after that it will turn off and you will only have access to like auxiliary. Yeah. But the problem is if if I turn the vehicle on and I'm defrosting the front and rear windows and I get out to clean snow off, yeah. When I get back in, when I get back inside the car, it's off. It's and like freezing. all the heat is off and it's freezing. Yeah. So it's that is very frustrating. I know that um EVs have a a lot of them anyway have a car wash mode now. Because there's so many sensors on vehicles that going into a, a car wash can make things go crazy and they won't yeah. necessarily roll in neutral. You have to set it to a car wash mode for that to happen. So I'm wondering if we're going to start seeing a defrost mode. My my point would be if the vehicle's in park and defrost is on, it should automatically be in defrost mode and assume that I'm going to be outside cleaning the car if it's not moving. Like I right. feel, especially if it's within the first 10 to 15 minutes of being started, that feels like a very easy thing you could program into any software. That's interesting. Like I push um, I the defrost button, idea. I'm cleaning the snow off. Yes. And, and like let the car finish the job before it turns off at yeah, least, it's, right? It's, it's, it's not great. Um. Anyways, overall, you know, there, there was some experience in this vehicle that... Um, I think Subaru has has kind of taken a more laid back approach with rather than the competition. Um, it isn't as as I mentioned, it isn't as spacious as um, 
the competition is the uh, as the the Kona. Um, and as you know now, I have a kid, and I have to put all this baby stuff in the in the trunk of the car, and that's it. I can't do anything else. And even like putting the the stroller in the car can be a bit um, of a struggle, which really caught me off guard because it wasn't totally like that in the in the Hyundai. Um, and in, in addition to that, I also have a a rear facing baby seat which also takes up a lot of space space in the back seat. So I'm trying to say that maybe if you have babies, this is not um, the ideal pick for for a, a shopper. So you're saying the three-row Crosstrek is also something you should... That would be sweet. Um, what was the name of the car that Nissan had that had three rows but was very affordable? The, the Rogue Sport or the Cash Guy? That had three rows? I think it had three rows. Maybe I made that up. My bad. That feels like a nightmare. Maybe it's okay. true, though. What about like a third row where, you know, those, um, those hit, they're, they're like a bicycle carrier that plugs into your car hitch, your trailer hitch. Okay. And it hangs off the bumper. What if you made that into a third row? Like oh, a maybe it doesn't have three rows. I'm taking a closer look. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking a about. A rear facing third row that you can, you can just leave at home when you don't need it. I would love that. Um, I think just like old minivans. It's really loud though. Yeah, of course. A lot of wind is. noise, a lot of screaming. Yeah. You need more. I think we need more features that we can just leave at home occasionally. <laughs> like, what would be your number one leave at home feature? Um, safety feet, uh, infotainment system. You just, just like leave. no infotainment, just quiet. I yeah. Uh, the sorry, only, I made that up about the about the um, about the Rogue Sport. It definitely only has two rows. I'm, the only I, time I'm not listening to music in a vehicle is when I'm driving my Datsun, on, and 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 that's because I took the stereo out because it sounds like crap. But even then, when I drive it long distance, not on a racetrack, I bring like wireless headphones, noise canceling headphones, and I listen to my phone while I'm driving the car. Because oh my god, really yeah. Loud. When I was driving a, I drove a U-Haul truck last week. Shout out to U-Haul's absolutely terrible customer service. But and, you got the truck this time. Yeah, twenty five foot truck, and like I get in, and the best part about U-Haul, if you're a, if you're into history. It's like time travel because you're getting into like the lowest budget truck you've ever been in with the least yeah. number of features. But it does have like three 12 volt outlets on the dashboard for some reason. Yeah. So in any case, I'm driving this vehicle and I'm wearing my headphones and I'm listening to my phone because I'm not going to do any. I'm not going to be bothered to try to understand this like E450s take on what infotainment was like in 2006. Uh, yeah, anyway, bit of a digression um, there. I will say, in my opinion, I do think the Crosstrek is still among the better choices in this segment. I just think if you want something maybe one up in any way or form, if there's these elements in which the Crosstrek falls short, take a look at the new Kona. It does seem like a fully realized um, subcompact crossover rather than... I think it used to be the other way around. I used to think that like the automaker would say, well, we have this car platform. Let's just turn it into a crossover. So I think in the, in the Kona's case, it was... Um, the accent and then the no, maybe that was yeah the accent and then it became the kona and i think now we're starting the other way around i think the kona is like the primary product on that platform um for sure i mean all the lost or at least cars, it feels that way the lost leader subcompacts are a thing of the past these days yeah i think that's that's true so what was i getting at and one of the biggest assets of course is the cross trek having all-wheel drive at a really low price point and uh, you've heard me talk on this podcast that affordable cards uh, affordable cards are really difficult to find i think this is one of them and um and i think it's a very consistent experience across the product lineup anything else you want to bring up about the uh cross 
No, I'm feeling good, man. I, I think this that gave that I provided all the context I needed about this cross track. What about you? What do you want to say about this cross track? I, I've got nothing else to say, but I do want to say if you're feeling good and yes. you want to tell us about it or ask us a question or um, any other type of interaction that you can imagine that can occur across the digital space, there's a bunch of ways you can do that. There's uh, going straight to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com where we have a contact form that you can, you know, typey type and clickety click and it ends up in our inbox. You can find us on social media. Sammy is on Twitter at uh, at Sammy underscore hot like you're laughing. Or you can find me on Instagram at Hunting Benjamin. Or you can email me the old fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Any of those things will brighten our day as soon as we see some type of message from one of our listeners. It's something that we'd love to get. And we've been getting actually a lot of, you know, Spotify wrapped is this thing that happens now every year and people love to share um, the screenshots of it. And we've been getting a lot of our uh, top fans sending us um, how many minutes they've been listening to. And it blows so my shout mind. Shout out to you it, guys. It straight amazing. up blows my mind. Yeah. I'm super grateful. It Thank rules. You. Thank you to everyone who's listening to this. I mean, you didn't have to. You have essentially <laughs> the infinity of the internet to select your entertainment from. And didn't you want to – everyone, you have – a wide selection of two dudes talking about some random subject <laughs> on a podcast. <laughs> and you chose us. Thank you. Yeah, so thank you for that, for sure. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and if you want to keep listening, I mean, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com has all of our episodes. We're up to, I think, almost 350 now. You can Ooh. find us on any podcasting service, any of your favorite podcasters. Just type us in and we'll be there. And if you could, you know, listen. Uh, sorry, if you could listen. Obviously, yeah, please, listen. Please listen, at least this far in the podcast. <laughs> if you could For subscribe, this important message, please listen. If you subscribe to us, if you like us, leave a review. All these things are helpful and welcome. Um, next week, I've got some new winter tires that I want to talk about. I think winter tires are great, and I can't wait to tell people um, about the magic of winter tires. Unnamed Winter Tire Podcast. Um, what about you, Ben? What are you talking about next week? I'm going to be talking about a surprise vehicle that I did not expect to drive, and that is the Lexus RX 500H, which is oh, yeah. the sports version of the RX, I think. Question mark? I'm yes, still dude. trying to figure Every that out. Good so, car has a question mark at some point when they, when driving it. It is a unique. I will say this: it is Lexus taking a bit of a risk, and that's something that I'm always interested in. So I'm looking forward to talking about that. You crazy Lexus taking a risk never happened, except <laughs> for with the LFA that one time. Um, okay, everybody, thank you so much for uh, listening. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>